All right, I'll now be leading us through the second passage from God's Word today. Um, so the second passage is from First Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 17 and going right through to chapter 3, verse 13. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought... Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was a brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might might have been in vain. But Timothy has now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Well, good morning, everyone. Have you um, wiggled enough now? I'd like to keep your Bibles open at 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 2 and um, if you've got access to the hub, the outline for the talk is on the hub but I'll also reveal some of it as we go. (coughs) We've been looking at this letter of 1 Thessalonians under the theme of what it means to be a gospel family and chapters 2 and 3 I think are highly significant. Um, because they give us one of the longest insights that we have in Paul's letters to actually what made him tick, what he thought about on the inside, what motivated him, uh, etc. 
And though his circumstances, of course, as an apostle and itinerant preacher were very different to our own, his um, attitudes and heart, if you like, serve very much as part of God's word for us as a model for us to follow if we want to live a genuinely Christian life and what it's all about. Last week, of course, Luke took us through chapter 2, verses uh, 1 to 16, and and we saw what it meant to live and behave um, in an authentic way as a Christian, a life of integrity, aiming uh, in both motivation and behaviour to please God rather uh, than man or to pander to um, the things of humanity. Today, I think we see the second major plank in an authentic, authentic Christian life. And I forgot to tell Sue earlier that I'd changed the title. And I've called it, uh, when it comes up, Hello. Why is this not working? There it is. Decided to work. A a heart for God's people. Here from 2.17 through to the end of chapter 3, Paul opens up uh, his inner self, if you like, to reveal his genuine love and care for the Thessalonians. And I think he reveals four things uh, that shape his heart for the Thessalonians. Um, And again, because I think... Uh, his heart, his life is part of God's word. It comes to us, as we'll see, as a model for us to follow if we're to truly be a gospel family. And I want to make an application, I think, to us at each point along the way. So first of all, in 2.17 to 20, um, Paul's heart for the Thessalonians begins um, in the fact that Paul has a great desire to see them. In verse 17 he says, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope and our joy, or the crown in which we were glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Now you might remember that um, Paul had to leave Thessalonica rather quickly and suddenly uh, because of uh, persecution, because people were after him um, to bring him out to a riotous crowd and he went down to Berea and then that wasn't safe either so he ended up in Athens. And you can read all about that in Acts chapter 17. He wanted to make sure though that In his absence, the Thessalonians should not misunderstand his absence to mean he had a lack of concern for them. No doubt that's what some of Paul's opponents were actually spreading around as a rumour. Rather, it was just the opposite. His love and concern for them meant he wanted more than anything else to see them. However, his desire, he says, was blocked or frustrated by the work of Satan. It'd be nice if we had a little paragraph here that told us what he meant by that. But, of course, none of us really know what he meant. Was it the plot on his life that prevented him from returning? Maybe it might have been some sort of legal ban. 
from the area because of the trouble that had surrounded him? Was it something to do with his health? We really have no clue. And what made him actually conclude it was the work of Satan that prevented him? It may have been a conviction that he came to in hindsight as he looked back over uh, what had happened. But when it came to how he felt about the Thessalonians, his heart and his mind, he states in verses 19 and 20 that they are his crown and glory. Now, I don't think for a moment that Paul is somehow taking credit here for the life of the Thessalonians. That is the work of God, of course, through Christ alone. But nevertheless, there is a connection, a joy, a celebration between the one who preaches the gospel and those who respond. To see someone to respond to a ministry God has given you um, is your ultimate joy, I think, and commendation from God of that ministry. So it wasn't, you see, that Paul had moved on. Right, yeah, there's the Thessalonians, I can forget about them now. He was simply prevented by Satan from returning to them. Now, of course, our circumstances are very different. But I think it's still relevant to ask whether today, whether this morning, uh, we have the same desire to see and meet with God's people here at Grove. Do we share the desire and priority Paul understands for meeting with other believers, whether it be here Sunday by Sunday, in your community groups during the week, or at other times over coffee or a meal? How do you see the family of God, of God's people here at Grove? Look around you, brothers and sisters. This is your forever family. The people you will spend eternity with. We might even say that each one, each other, to each other, each of us is our crown and glory. Where else would you want to be? And yet I wonder whether we have been a little more infected by our culture than we care to think. A culture that promotes a sort of me first outlook where my wellness, to use a popular word, becomes the driving goal of my life and other things become optional extras. We buy or we buy into when it suits us. You know, if you look at the attendance certificates, uh, statistics for Grove, which come through to me each week, um, believe it or not, there's about something like 30% of our regular members and families are absent each week. And I suspect that if we had the data, the same might be true of our community groups as well. It's not the same people, of course. But even allowing for sickness, accident, holidays, work situations, I find that figure rather disturbing. An indication that meeting with other believers has lost the priority, I think, in our lives that it deserves. Now, my aim here is not to (laughs) guilt people into coming, but to change our vision what God is doing in the world 
The church, the gathering of God's people, is at the centre of God's activity in our world. Paul saw that. It energised his passion. And I wonder whether we need to ask God today to renew our passion for seeing God's people. Well, that's the first part of Paul's heart for God's people. But the other three areas that we'll talk about are related to it and follow on from it. So the second area of Paul's heart for the Thessalonians then is what I've called Paul's commitment to help them. We see this in chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Paul says, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best uh, that we left ourselves in Athens, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that uh, we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labour, our labours might have been in vain. Given the fact that the church there was still very much in its infant stages, Paul was concerned that their faith was placed on a firm foundation. Because he knew of severe opposition he had experienced, he was concerned that the Thessalonians might end up something like the seed sown on rocky ground in Jesus' parable of the sower, where the gospel message might initially be received with great joy, but then later people might be tempted to fall away because of trouble and persecution. So he became desperate to find out how they were going. Sorry, in those days, no mobiles, no internet, no social media that he could find out along the way what was going on. How could he do something to help them, to encourage them, to strengthen them? Well, his commitment to help them was put in place through the sending of Timothy. Now, Timothy, of course, was Paul's most trusted disciple and companion. At one place he calls him his son in the faith. Other than the presence of Paul himself, the Thessalonians um, could not be in better hands. As an apostle, Paul saw his responsibility was to help those who responded to the gospel to adequately be discipled and to give them a firm foundation against trouble, opposition and the attacks of Satan. And when it comes, friends, to the ongoing life of the church, each one of us, through the gifts God has distributed by his spirit, has a responsibility for playing our part in building up of God's people as well. 1 Corinthians 12.7, Paul simply states, to each is given the manifestation of spirit for the common good. And in Ephesians 4, Paul notes that some gifts are given to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Friends, when you meet with God's people here, do you come with the goal in mind of building up the body? Is that part of your mindset? Now, I'm not just talking about being on rosters here. 
though obviously such tasks are important for the proper functioning of the body. Notice that Timothy was sent to encourage and strengthen the Thessalonians. And we need to think about how we might do that. How we might encourage a sister or brother when we meet together, here or in our community groups, over a meal or a coffee. All too often, I'm afraid, we tend to focus on what I get out of it rather than on how I might contribute to the building up of others, whether helping out with rusted tasks or providing a word of encouragement. What's uppermost in your mind? It was Jesus himself, remember, who said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many a desire to see God's people should always lead to a commitment to help them. Now the good news for Paul was that Timothy came back with a very positive report. Because of this we see the third element of Paul's heart for the Thessalonians, Paul's joy over their progress. In chapter 3, verse 6, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and you long to see us just as we long also to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. You know, reports, reports of progress in the faith of people we know are very important. Reports from missionaries we support, people we have known over the years in other churches, and reports from one another on how God has been working in each other's lives. For Paul, as an apostle and itinerant preacher of the gospel, there could be no greater encouragement and joy to him than to know that the Thessalonians were progressing. And specifically, he says here, in spite of persecution, that they stand firm in the Lord. For he says in verse 8 now that now that he knows from Timothy's report, he says he really lives. His joy is clearly evident. Uh, Some of you might remember um, Michelle and Scott Mayhew who were part of our congregation for some time and uh, moved back to New South Wales. Michelle's mum and dad and came to know Christ um, through a baptism interview with me umpteen years ago when we were in Sydney. And it is one of the great joys uh, for me and Meredith um, that they are stronger in their faith than they've ever been and in their service for the Lord. It's one of the great joys 
But there's also great joy in seeing people in your church moving on in the Lord and serving him. You know, it's one of the reasons Luke has begun and will continue to do interviews with people in our services every now and then to see how they're going, what the Lord is doing, to encourage us um, in that way. And I particularly want to encourage you to share your life and journey with one another across the ages. Young people gain so much um, from seeing how God has worked through the lifetime of older people. It encourages them to see that Christianity is not just a fad. Like so many other fads that are around these days, but it's real and lasting through good times and hard times. And if you're someone here today who's still investigating who Jesus is and the salvation he offers, then it's important that you speak to people who can testify to the reality of God's grace over many years. Because if God is real and the message of salvation is true, then longevity of faith and service brings credibility to those claims. Of course, at the other end of life, ask any older person here what encourages them and gives them joy. And somewhere near the top of the list, we'll be seeing the next generation come to know Jesus and be growing in their faith in him you have a heart for God's people, then there'll always, always uh, be joy in hearing of God's work in people's lives, especially when life has been hard and difficult. Well, last of all, but most important of all, Paul's concern for the Thessalonians was seen in his prayer for their continued growth. End of chapter 3, verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Since, friends, in the end we accomplish, we accomplish nothing for God apart from his grace, a heart for God's people must issue in prayer for their continued growth. And in what terms is that growth specified here by Paul? What does Paul pray for? Well, basically increasing love and that they might be strengthened in holiness. Love and holiness. And really these two match up with what Paul shares in chapters 2 and 3 in his first letter of Thessalonians. His first aim is to please God and to live a life of integrity based on God's word. In other words, a life of holiness before the presence of God. And then his second aim is to love God's people and to do everything he can to see that love for one another abounds among God's people. 
What about us? Brothers and sisters, do you regularly pray for God's people here at Grove? One of the things I try to do with some success is to pray for one or two people in in our congregation each day. I have a church directory with a list of all the people. Get a pencil and I tick them off as I go. Now I know some of you do exactly the same. I'm not the only one who does this. But it's been a very helpful discipline for me personally. And I want to encourage you to do the same. And while, of course, there are everyday needs and situations that occur that we pray for here and in our community groups, remember the most important thing of all for us here at Grove, as in all God's churches, is that our love for one another may grow more and more and our integrity of life and holiness become stronger and stronger. Regardless, you see, of what we know, how much we know about each other, we can always pray in these terms for one another. Well, let me conclude. Last week we saw Paul's commitment to please God rather than man, which led to a life of integrity based on the word of God. Today we see Paul's passion and heart for love and care for God's people. The application for us today, as I said, lies in Paul's life being seen as a model of love and care for us to follow. So I want to conclude by asking you to look deep and reflect on the questions I've raised for us throughout this morning. Do you have a desire to meet with God's people here at Grove? One that is not just an optional extra when it suits you, but one that takes priority over other things because this is our true forever family, our glory. Is your intention to contribute in some way to help our brothers and sisters serve them, encourage them, to make sure we all get there in the end? Do you rejoice when you hear how God is working in the lives of your sisters and brothers as you share each other's journeys. And most important of all, do you remember to pray for one another, knowing in the end that it is only the grace of God, by the grace of God, that we may have a genuine heart for one another, a heart for God's people. Now I ask these questions this morning as one who needs to hear and reflect on them as much as I've thought to press them upon you. Let's pray now then that God's grace, that it may be so by God's grace here at Grove. Let's pray. (coughs) Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning for this passage in 1 Thessalonians. We thank you for the great Apostle Paul Uh, We thank you for how you uh, worked your grace in his life and how, because that has come down to us in your word, it informs us and gives us uh, a model 
that we can follow as well. But we need your help. We need your grace, the power of your spirit to do so. And we need, Lord, you to help us to love one another, to encourage each other, to serve each other. We do ask, Lord, that you may continue to grow us more and more in our love and passion to help each other so that we do all see each other in the end, our forever family, when the Lord Jesus comes. We ask it in his name. Amen.